We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Pop Torah with Rabbi Iznopf and Olitsky, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Torah, the podcast where we talk about pop culture from a Jewish perspective and Judaism through the lens of pop culture. As always, we are your hosts. I am Rabbi Michael Knopf. And I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And today we are talking about the NBC sitcom The Good Place, which just ended uh, its uh, fourth and final season the other week, starring Kristen Bell and Ted Danson. Uh, Jesse, you want to tell us a little bit about The Good Place? Sure. I'm only going to tell you a little because really to understand and appreciate this podcast episode, you really have to have seen the show. And also the show was brilliant in that every season was really a different series that it begins with the premise uh, that Kristen Bell's character, Eleanor Shellstra, uh, ends up in the good place, the, the uh, television show's version of heaven in the afterlife, when she really doesn't belong there. Uh, and Michael, the architect of this heaven, of this afterlife, was sort of the uh, angelic uh, celestial being. And she tries to figure out uh, how she ended up in the good place when she didn't end up there. And quickly she finds out that uh, the monk, Jin Yu, was actually uh, a dim-witted DJ from Jacksonville, <laughs> Florida. I spent three years as a rabbi in Jacksonville. Duval represent uh, Jason Mendoza and Tahani Al-Jamil and Chidi, these four main characters of the show, that they all somehow shouldn't have been in the good place and they all ended up there season one blows our mind by ending turns out it's not the good place it's actually the bad place and they were torturing them by making them feel guilty for being in the good place when they didn't belong there uh season two is really a repetition of time and time and time again of them rebooting this good place and them finding out and figuring out that they're in the bad place time and time again uh season two uh concludes with the four of them escaping uh, through the bad place and they attempt to get to the good place by appealing to the judge. Uh, The judge, of course, played by the amazing... Maya Rudolph. Maya Rudolph of SNL fame. uh, fame. She's hysterical. Amazing Um, in this role, yeah. And what the judge ends up doing at the end of season two is testing them to see if they've improved enough to get to the good place. Um, Everyone fails except for Eleanor. Michael appeals, um, and they decide that they'll send them back to Earth with no memories of the afterlife and see if they can improve on Earth to end up in the good place once they die. Season three uh, begins with them going back to their old ways and old patterns. Uh, Michael and Janet, who we haven't mentioned yet, she develops into, I think, really the star of the show, Played by uh, Darcy Carden. Uh, Janet is sort of the uh, robot uh, of the afterlife who gives you all <laughs> the information. She is the Siri of the afterlife, the Alexa of the afterlife. Um, and uh, they end up, Michael and Janet, ta- uh, they track down Doug Forsett, who's the human when he was high in college, discovered what the actual idea of the afterlife would be. And then season three concludes with them realizing that nobody had actually got entered the real good place in over 500 years because of the effect of all of our actions that even when somebody is vegan, you know, what is the carbon footprint of the tomatoes that they're eating, that sort of thing, that we really have a flawed system. And so they attempt to fix that season, that that system to get more people into the good place. Uh, season four um, is really this self-improvement in the afterlife, this idea, this system that you can change in the afterlife. Uh, and even if you begin in the bad place, you can end up in the good place that you never your 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 final sentence if you will 
entering the afterlife is never a final sentence, that you still have time to repent while you're in the afterlife and end up in the good place, even if that's not where you start. Uh, and as a result, Eleanor, Chidi, Tahani, and Jason finally enter the afterlife. Uh, I mean, sorry, finally enter the good place. But when they get there, they realize that it's flawed because people... Uh, become numb to the experiences of the afterlife so quickly. They get to do all the things that they always wanted to do. You want to ride an elephant, you can ride an elephant. You want to slay a dragon, you could slay a dragon. You want to go skydiving with Bon Jovi, you could do that. Whatever you want to do is this perfect existence of all your dreams come true. And after you fulfill your dreams, you get pretty bored. And so they create a system where you can actually conclude your afterlife, conclude your existence. You would walk through a door and you would cease to exist even in the afterlife. There would be nothing left of you. And season four concludes um, with each of them walking through that door at peace and concluding not just their lives, but their afterlives. Um, and yet it concludes with their essence re-entering the worlds in a a very odd and yet appropriate way making this world better because their essence uh is is present not quite reincarnation uh, but really the idea that their souls remain in this world even after they have left so that was a very uh short synopsis of a very complicated and really <laughs> hysterical show um a a brilliant show by Michael Shore. Michael Shore is the creator of Parks and Rec. And after the success of Parks and Rec, NBC said, we give you a blank canvas to do whatever you want with your next NBC series. And he, to his credit, was like, let's do a crazy show about the afterlife. Uh, and this is what he came up with. So, Mike, I want to turn it to you. How does this version of the afterlife compare to Judaism's view of the afterlife? Yeah, it's a great question. Thanks for that summary of a of, of really complicated but really amazing show. Um, and the, the, just a couple uh, stray thoughts before I dive into the meat of it. Um, the first is, Jesse, and you and I have discussed this, um, virtually every single person in the show, every single actor in the show is a national treasure. It's just a, a, amazing to have them all kind of collected in one base. Kristen Bell, national treasure. Ted Danton, national treasure. Maya Rudolph, National Treasure, Mike O'Malley, uh, who plays the uh, the the gatekeeper, uh, the doorman, dog obsessed, the doorman. Yeah, uh, National Treasure. I mean, it's just a, it's just a really really amazing. They even had uh, Ron Swanson make a cameo uh, in the uh, either the next to last or the last episode, the very end. Uh, yeah, yeah, amazing. So uh, so just really extraordinary. And the second is uh, that I feel like this show redeemed for me the name Michael. Um, and I need to say this. Um, I'm going to put this out there for my listeners that I have uh, um, had a complicated relationship with my name, with the name Michael, my uh, my entire life. Uh, I am a middle child. Uh, and so my name, Michael, I always associated my head with my parents yelling at me. Uh, and um, and so I always went by Mike, uh, you know, um, uh, when when I was, you know, for my friends uh, and uh, and the office. Uh, which starred uh, Steve Carell as uh, Michael Scott, um, did not help matters. Because uh, <laughs> when, whenever the name Michael was uttered in that show, it was always like in this exasperated way, um, and you know, in all this like really derisive way. So it did not help matters for me. Uh, but uh, but now I feel the name Michael is vindicated, redeemed because of uh, Ted Danson's uh, incredible performance in that in that character in the show. So I'm I'm grateful to Ted Danson uh, for uh, for saving my name for me. Um, so. Uh, so there's a lot to talk about uh, with uh, with this show in relation to uh, the Jewish take on the on the afterlife, and and I think that one of the things that we should uh, say right at the outset that you know there isn't really one Jewish view of the afterlife. Um, I was uh, um, speaking with someone the other day about this, uh, and uh, and this you know, they were they're about to talk on the pan on a panel. Uh, about uh, with different religions and different religious views of the afterlife uh, and death and dying. And I said, what, you know, can you give me, uh, you know, a, a brief synopsis of, of Judaism's take? And I said, I can't really do that. And so I handed them 
a book by uh, a rabbi named Simcha Raphael, who's a friend of mine. I don't know if you know him, Jesse. Uh, really great guy. Uh, he, he wrote a book on Jewish views of the afterlife, and it's like 700 pages long. <laughs> and I said, here's, here, here's Judaism's view of the afterlife. It's 700 pages long because um, uh, Jewish tradition um, has, a, uh, has an ongoing and developing uh, relationship uh, with, with the idea of, uh, of the afterlife. Um, that has evolved over over time, uh, and uh, and part of that is, of course, because um, you know uh, some intimations from the good place to the contrary. Um, no one, as far as we know, um, has ever gone and come back, uh, and uh, and so anything we uh, might say about the afterlife is is really all all speculative and, and based on. Um, you know, uh, uh, theological arguments, um, sometimes moral arguments, right? And so that's part of the idea of, of the afterlife in the first place and how it develops um, in Jewish tradition over time. When Judaism first has an idea of the afterlife, uh, it's, it, when it's referenced in the, in the Torah, um, it's, a, it's a place called Sheol. Uh, and uh, sometimes it's described in the Torah as, um, um, as going to the ancestors or, or sleeping with our ancestors, sleeping with the fathers. Um, because the idea was that where, whenever you died, all, all the dead um, go to the same place, go to uh, essentially an, an underworld, um, and, it's, um, and it's amoral, right? Good or bad, righteous or wicked, everybody goes to the same place uh, when, when they die. Um, and it's not really until uh, later on when, when people are really struggling with, uh, with, with the question of, uh, why do bad things happen to good people? And why do good things seem to happen to bad people? And you know, why, why do we you know, seem to inhabit a world in which there's no um, uh, reward or, or punishment uh, for our good deeds or bad deeds? Uh, that, uh, that, that the idea of a moral afterlife uh, where the wicked are punished and the righteous are rewarded, um, where that gets uh, more, more sussed out and, and more fleshed out. Uh, and... Uh, and uh, um, uh, Christianity, of course, especially in, in medieval Christianity, um, develops a very uh, robust tradition uh, related to a moral afterlife. Uh, you have um, uh, you have the Divine Comedy by Dante as just kind of an artistic depiction of of the Catholic understanding of of the afterlife, uh, where you know where you have you know good good people you know. Uh, uh, you know, getting angel wings and playing harps in heaven. This is not uh, an accurate description of what Dante writes. Um, and uh, <laughs> uh, bad people, you know, being uh, tortured by demons uh, uh, in the in in the pits of hell. Um, such that uh, over the course of time, you know, if you were to go to you know the average American Jew on the street and say, you know, uh, um, what does Judaism believe about the afterlife? They either might not be able to tell you at all. Um, or to say, you know, Judaism doesn't believe in the afterlife, or Judaism at least doesn't believe in hell. Um, even though, um, as you know, Jesse, that uh, uh, that if if you were to look at uh, the Talmud and other traditional Jewish writings, Jewish tradition has a very uh, robust understanding, or at least a robust idea of uh, both heaven and hell, um, a place where the wicked are punished uh, and and the righteous are are rewarded. Uh, so. We do have uh, we we do have that tradition, um, but I was always taught growing up, and this is maybe where I'll kick it over to you, Jesse, uh, to hear your thoughts and understandings of this. I was always taught sure. when I was growing up um, that um, that 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 uh, that even though there is um, a lot uh, discussed in Jewish tradition about uh, heaven as a place where the righteous are rewarded and hell as a place where where the wicked are punished, um, that the only eternal place, the only place where a soul goes. Uh, for uh, uh, for for eternity, uh, such as it is, is is heaven, uh, and hell uh, is better understood, um, actually, in in much the same way that uh, it becomes understood in the good place as a temporary place for for souls to refine themselves, for souls to do tshuva, essentially, to do repentance um, for things that they um, had not uh, sufficiently repented for uh, or repented for at all. Uh, during their sojourn on earth, um, and that there was almost nobody who was beyond the capability of, um, of, of repentance in the afterlife, uh, refining their soul in the afterlife, uh, and then moving on toward heaven. And so one of the examples of this is that there's a tradition of saying Kaddish 
when um, when when a loved one dies. Uh, and uh, we, uh, for parents, say Kaddish for eleven months after they after they die. Kaddish is um, an, an, an ancient prayer written in Aramaic uh, that's often associated with uh, with death, even though it doesn't um, talk about death at all. It just talks about uh, God's greatness and God's oneness and, and, and ultimate peace. Uh, and uh, the tradition of saying Kaddish uh, after a parent dies is related to this sort of mystical idea that Kaddish um, uh, helps elevate the soul or might give spiritual sustenance to the soul um, as it uh, uh, engages in the process of tshuva um, so that it can ascend to heaven. And uh, the, the notion of tradition is that um, that, uh, that, that the longest it uh, might take for somebody to, uh, for a soul to repent in, in Gehenna, in, in hell, um, is, is a year. Uh, and so we want to uh, provide our uh, parents with um, the spiritual support necessary to, uh, uh, to, to repent and, and move uh, to the next uh, phase of the afterlife. Uh, but we don't want to intimate that they require the full um, uh, duration of time in, in hell. Um, so we stop saying Kaddish at 11 months um, so as to uh, acknowledge that uh, they're probably good from there. Um, uh, overabundance of caution. Um, so, uh, uh, so that is actually a, a common Jewish practice that, uh, even though people may not recognize it, um, has direct connection to uh, Jewish views of the afterlife. What's your although, understanding? Although, although I would say, you know, there's practical purposes um, for every ritual uh, sure. that may help people understand why to say Kaddish. But practically speaking, Kaddish is really about a routine to help you. Um, adjust to your life as a mourner, uh, and you know the to me truthfully the idea that our saying Kaddish helps one's soul uh, rise up and get to the world to come is uh, insulting almost, and it suggests that their own life did not merit entering the world to come. Where what we're taught is our own actions are what's uh, what should lead us uh, to to the world to come, right? There's the great Hasidic story by Reb Zusha, um, and uh, he was on his deathbed, and uh, his students ask him, why are you crying on your deathbed? And he says, because when I, I meet uh, the divine judge, right? When I, I meet HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Holy One, blessed be God, God will not ask me, why were you not like more like Moses, who took the Israelites out of slavery, out of bondage, crossing the Red Sea? Why were you not like Joshua, who brought the Israelites into the Promised Land? But God will ask, Zushia, why weren't you more like Zushia? Uh, the idea that it's our own actions that actually warrant whether or not we we have a place in this world to come in Olam Haba. Um, and the idea that Kaddish, what our loved ones do in mourning while they are still on earth impact our own place in the afterlife, um, I think uh, is well-intentioned, but a flawed explanation and understanding. And it's more a reason to get people to say Kaddish rather than why we say Kaddish, if that uh, makes sense, right? There was a very practical element if we explain to people that saying Kaddish gets somebody's soul into the world to come, it forces people to say Kaddish. There, there was, there was a, it was very intentional explanation where for me saying Kaddish when somebody is in mourning is really about a routine to help us mourn and help us adjust to this world where our loved ones are no longer physically here and physically with us. Um, you mentioned the, the Talmud though, Mike, and you're right, Brachot 28b is really the first notion of the Jewish versions of heaven and hell. Uh, and I think you're right that most of us grew up being told that there is no hell in Judaism. And we say, woohoo, we could do whatever we want, right? Judaism <laughs> rocks. Uh, but, but Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai introduces this idea, right? The, as you said, the hell um, referred to as Gehenna. And he the Jewish idea of heaven, very interestingly referred to as Gan Eden, as the Garden of Eden, the idea that this first world that God created was some sort of utopia, and that's what we're seeking to return to. I can't help but appreciate, though, that it was still a, a flawed utopia, um, 
that there's no such thing as perfection, but also this Garden of Eden that God initially created was a utopia where humanity, Adam and Eve, had to be active participants. And based on their participation or lack of participation led to the demise and destruction of Gan Eden. So even if the Jewish idea of heaven is some utopian perfection, this uh, Gan Eden, it still requires active participation from the souls that are present. But this idea in Brachot 28b, when Yochanan ben Zakkai uh, is ill and, and dying and crying in front of his students, they can't understand why he's crying. And he says, you know, if I was in front of a, a sovereign of flesh and blood, right, the one who is mortal, if he, if this sovereign was angry with me, uh, if he incarcerates me, it would not be an eternal incarceration. If he kills me, it would not be for eternity. But now standing in front of the holy of holies, the king of kings, standing in front of God, I know that whatever judgment God gives to me is eternal. If I end up in God Aden, in this uh, Talmudic idea of heaven, then it will be forever. If I end up in Gehenna, this Talmudic idea of hell, it will be forever, uh, which really goes against this notion that through tshuva in the afterlife, we can change. That's right. That, you know, the, the, uh, the idea of a, uh, of, of an afterlife where you can, you know, uh, do repentance even, even after you die is, is something that develops you know, later on uh, in uh, in Jewish tradition, it's it's it, it, you know intimated in in the Talmud, and then uh, and then gets developed in in Jewish mysticism. There's another idea that is uh, discussed in in uh, Jewish mysticism that I think is important to bring up here, also Jesse, which is um, which is Gilgul Neshamot, uh, essentially reincarnation, and that is uh, an idea that uh, that. Maybe I'm misreading the the end of the good place, but that's sort of the idea that's uh, intimated at the very end of the good place, where when um, when uh, uh, Eleanor, Kristen Bell's character, uh, steps through the the door in heaven that uh, that that marks your your you know the the end of your you know soul's journey, um, she kind of disintegrates into little sparks, uh, and uh, and then the sparks kind of uh, go back uh, you know through the through the universe and. Uh, and and actually back into Earth, and her spark goes into um, a person that ends up uh, um, encountering Michael, who had uh, um, through uh, um, you know essentially became a real boy uh, at the end of the mm. show, uh, and uh, and so encounters him there, and there's a moment of, of recognition there, um, and that is an idea that that's also um, explored and and uh, and, and developed uh, in in Jewish tradition. That um, and that also, I think, has um, a, a lot to commend it uh, from a from a scientific understanding of of what happens uh, when when we die. I mean, I think that there's a way in which we think of afterlife um, through the perspective of consciousness, and that we uh, and that we re- that we equate our souls with our with our consciousness, so that when we when we die, um, our our consciousness continues to live on. Uh, and uh, and and experiences whatever either punishment or, or reward heaven uh, or hell, um, uh, but it's it's also quite possible that um, you know that uh, that once the brain stops working, so too does consciousness. That consciousness essentially dies uh, with with brain death. Um, and uh, but nevertheless, um, you know we we have this idea in in physics um, that uh, that energy can neither be created nor destroyed. So that the uh, that the energy that we have when we uh, when, when we're alive um, isn't destroyed when when we die, um, and actually um, gets um, in you know one way or another you know kind of reabsorbed into the universe, reabsorbed into the world, uh, and and in a sense. Uh, is therefore possible to be uh, transferred. You could think of it as being transferred into other people. That's that, that kind of scientific approach is not, of course, you know what medieval Jewish mysticism says. They think of it more like your, you know, your soul as consciousness uh, might get reincarnated into another uh, being or another uh, another human being. Um, but nevertheless, I, I think that there's something um, really uh, powerful about that idea that um, that when we uh, that when that when we die. Um, we, we don't really, uh, we, we, we don't really die. We don't really go anywhere. 
um, uh, that, uh, that, that our souls don't, you know, ascend to some ephemeral place that is disconnected from the world, um, uh, whether it's above or below, um, that, uh, that, that our souls actually be, uh, uh, reconnect to, to reality. That, that idea is uh, mentioned as a Buddhist idea in uh, the last or the next to last episode of The Good Place. Chidi talks about um, uh, this image of a wave. I, I thought this was such a beautiful image, Jesse. Um, yeah, this image of a wave, you know, a wave is, uh, you can see it on a beach. It's got, you know, shape and form and you could measure it uh, and uh, you could touch it. You can feel it. Um, you can ride it. Uh, and, uh, and then, you know, eventually that wave has a crest and then it crashes uh, onto the shore um, and then it goes back into the ocean. It stops being a wave, um, but it doesn't stop being. Uh, it, it just gets reabsorbed into the ocean. And that's how he helps Eleanor uh, understand uh, what might happen, you know, after um, they step through the door. And indeed, that's in a sense what happens after um, she steps through the, the door in the good place. Um, she becomes part of the ocean of the universe once again, no longer a, uh, a distinct form as a wave. You know, I, I think Judaism traditionally talks about resurrection and talks about reincarnation. Uh, it's something that um, later Jewish tradition was less clear about and I think less comfortable about, especially with the uh, influence of Christianity and the idea of a belief in a resurrected, resurrected Jesus as Messiah. Judaism became less comfortable with the idea of resurrection, but I, I think we can use those same terms uh, and same understanding, um, as you said, to to understand that our lives still have impact in this world long after we've left this world. That's how I explain in the Amidah prayer when we say the blessing uh, and we say uh, God is mechayehametim, God gives life to the dead, uh, even if that originally meant uh, resurrection. I don't believe that's what it means. Even if it meant reincarnation, uh, right? The transmigration of the soul i don't think that's what it means to me it's that one soul remains impacted and implanted in our world even if that person has left this world uh, the same way we say at funerals that i love one soul is bound up in, in the, the bond of, of our lives mm -hmm. um it means that as long as we keep them in our hearts and in our minds as long as we make sure that they've had an impact in this world then they continue to remain in this world, even if they are not physically present in this world. But I also wonder, we say that, who is that for, right? Is that for the deceased? Is that for those who are no longer here and living? Uh, or, or is that rather, is that for us? Because we want them to stay a part of this world. And we, as those who have mourned our loved ones, have a hard time letting go. Mike, you and I as rabbis, um, we hold a lot of families up during mourning uh, and uh, we mourn with them. And I can't help but, but think how much of this is about holding on to our loved ones for our own sakes in this world because we're not ready to let them go, even if they are ready to let go. Well, I think that that's a really good point, Jesse, that, uh, that, that, that so much of our ideas about the afterlife um, are, um, are, are related to, you know, how we cope with, uh, with death, how we cope with the death of loved ones, how we think about, uh, our own death and also how we think about, uh, our, our own lives. You know, what's the significance of our, of our lives? What's the, what's the point of our lives? There's this, um, there's this great scene that I think about a lot, uh, in, uh, the, um, the, uh, BBC Amazon, uh, series Fleabag, the second season of it. I, I, did you see Fleabag, Jesse? I did not. Oh, okay. So it's it's excellent. It's excellent, and 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 I hope you do. Um, so it's uh, Phoebe Waller Bridge is the creator and star of the show. And in the second season, she befriends um, uh, a Catholic priest, uh, who um, in the show, uh, uh, very few people uh, actually have uh, very few characters actually have names. Phoebe Waller Bridge's character is unnamed. She's just called uh, uh, Fleabag. Um, nobody actually calls her that, but that's how she's sort of identified in the show. Uh, and uh, the priest doesn't have a name. He's just called the priest, although the Internet very quickly started calling him Hot Priest. Uh, and um, and they're 
uh, walking, you know, through London talking about uh, faith because Phoebe Waller-Bridge is a modern, you know, secular person. Uh, and so it's strange for her to, to meet and befriend a religious person. And she, uh, you know, they're talking about what happens after uh, they die. And, um, and, you know, she says to, she says to the priest, you know, sort of derisively, let me guess about what you believe in, you know, like uh, harps and angels and things like that and, and wings. And he said, well, let me guess what you believe, you know, uh, 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 you die and it's like eternal blackness. And, you know, you, you essentially like you, you go in the ground and that's it. And she said, yeah. Uh, and he said, and she said, you know, how, she said to him, how can you believe in something so fantastical? And he said to her, well, why believe in something terrible when you can believe in something amazing? Uh, which is which was, I thought, a beautiful and brilliant line. Uh, because uh, it points to the fact that we really don't know. There's no way of knowing or proving what happens when when we die. Um, that uh, uh, that uh, that that every belief we have is a choice. And the question is, you know, um, uh, what do we get out of the choice of, of what we what we believe? What does it do for us, or what does it not do for us? And I think that that's really important. I think that for um, for 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 a long time. Uh, in the you know history of the development of religion, um, the ideas of a moral afterlife um, were kind of used as a as a moral cudgel, right? That um, uh, that you you got to be good, uh, even though you're not gonna you know even though you, bad things might happen to you as a good person, even though good things might happen to bad people, you got to be good because um, uh, because you know we're talking about a you know maybe a hundred years if you're lucky on this on this earth. But an eternity is a really long time and you don't want to be, you know, damned and, and tortured for all eternity. You want to, you know, go to the good place. Um, so I do think that there's uh, uh, my teacher, Rabbi Erwin Kula, talks about this all the time that, you know, most traditions um, uh, are, um, are are developed uh, for, in one way or another uh, to facilitate some version of human flourishing. Right. We, we, we develop our traditions um, because they serve uh, our human needs. Um, and I think that, that probably the same could be said for the afterlife. That, now, that doesn't necessarily mean that I believe that, uh, you know, any view of the afterlife is, is untrue um, or that it's all mythology or that it's all fan fantastical. Um, it may be, it may not be. Um, but I do believe that uh, what, we, uh, what we believe is, is a choice. Um, and those choices have consequences um, for how we relate to each other, how we relate to the world, um, how, how we live. Um, there, there's a, there's another consequence that we don't often think about when it comes to the, you know, the notions of, you know, sort of a disembodied soul, um, in heaven and hell, which is, um, that, uh, for a lot of human history, it's, it's served to denigrate the, you know, the, uh, the physical experience of the world, right? Believing that human beings have, uh, you know, are like sort of Casper, the friendly ghost trapped inside a, a machine, um, of our bodies, um, has uh, has enabled us to think of of our our bodies, um, our physicality as relatively unimportant. Um, it's uh, you know it, that kind of viewpoint leads to uh, to you know uh, uh, theologies of like mortification of the flesh and uh, self denial uh, in unhealthy ways, and also environmental degradation, environmental destruction. Right? If the if the if the natural world is you know essentially just a shell. Um, that we you know, sort of temporarily use and exploit uh, before we go to uh, an ephemeral eternity that's, that's um, un unnatural and immaterial, um, then you know, arguably you can do whatever you want to the natural world and, and it doesn't really matter. So there's a, there's, uh, there's, there's a moral consequence in, in a negative way to that uh, point of view too that we don't often think about. Well, don't you think that part of it is... Um the reality that the rabbis of the Talmud were grappling with that, right, they were in exile, they were dealing with their own persecution, and the biblical theology of do good gets reward, do bad gets punishment didn't match up for them. And so their own idea of an afterlife was a way to allow them to make sense as faithful and devoted Jews, the earliest parts of rabbinic tradition and saying, okay, there's still purpose in ritual. There's still purpose in the way we live our lives. We may not truly understand that purpose in this world. You know, I see it differently. The blessings, the rewards that 
we receive are the experience of doing the mitzvah, the experience of doing the acts themselves, but uh, they understood it uh, to mean something different, right? They understood it to mean, don't worry about the pain and suffering you may experience now, the way you are now impacts the portion you receive in, in the world to come. Yeah, I, I think that that's, that's really important. And, uh, and, and I think that that, um, uh, that uh, is, is, you know, it's, it's worth holding because um, a, a view of, you know, the afterlife, uh, and by the way, the idea of the afterlife in Judaism is very intimately connected, uh, as you alluded to before, Jesse, with um, the idea of, uh, of messianic redemption, such that the term uh, that we, that, that is often used in traditional Judaism for heaven, which is olam haba, um, is also uh, often used to describe uh, the the era of the Messiah, the era of messianic redemption. Um, olam haba literally means uh, the world to come or the world that is coming. Uh, and it's related to, you know, a sort of idea that's, that's um, expounded upon in, initially in the prophets that, you know, there's, there's a new order uh, uh, a new world that God is going to uh, create out of this world in some time in, in the future. Uh, and that's also connected, of course, to the idea of, uh, of resurrection, as, as, you, as you mentioned before, Jesse. Um, but I think that, that that's really important to dwell on because, um, you know, in, in a time of, um, of, of relative privilege and prosperity and stability and peace, that, um, uh, that at least some of us in the modern era um, uh, get to enjoy. And we also, uh, you know, forget that uh, you, you, know, you watch the news and, and things, you know, are terrible all the time, which is true. There's a lot of things that are terrible in the world. Um, but, um, but we are also living in, you know, the most peaceful and pro- prosperous time in, in human history. So it's actually no, no surprise that we're reevaluating um, our relationship to, uh, to ideas like the afterlife. But in, times of, of challenge, in times of suffering, in times of uh, war, in times of persecution, like you're describing before, um, uh, I, you know, I, the idea of a, of a moral afterlife, the idea of, uh, of, of a reward for the righteous who are suffering um, becomes uh, much more appealing and, and also um, much more sustaining. Uh, so I talked about this this past Shabbat, you know, this past Shabbat, um, uh, which um, came after the um, uh, the the impeachment trial ended in, in the Senate with uh, with the president's acquittal, um, and I was just feeling personally, and I felt it in my community, you know, a lot of um, a, a sense of despair. Uh, and I, I reminded people that uh, one of the most popular prayers uh, in the uh, in the camps in during the Holocaust was. Um, a, a phrase that uh, um, originated by uh, by the Rambam, by Maimonides, who says, uh, "Anima amin." Jews supposed to say, "Anima amin be munashlima, the viat hamashiach." I believe with a, with complete faith in the coming of the Messiah. The apal pi shehit mamea im kozeh achakelo v'chol yom sheyavo. And even though uh, he or she may tarry, uh, nevertheless. I wait uh, for him or her every day uh, and believe that uh, that he or she is coming. Uh, right, there and- are story. There are stories that uh, the Jews uh, sang these words as they were marched into the showers, as they were right. marched into the gas chambers. Right. Um, so that's so you know the the, the hopefulness of a um, of of a of a redeemed world of 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 of, per, of a perfected world of a of a restored state of a place where things are right you know where where to you know quote from uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vinman uh, testified during the House impeachment proceedings that Adam Schiff quoted during the Senate trial right where you know a place where right matters um, and uh, and often feels in this world that that we're in a place where right doesn't matter um, and that is painful and so it's it's um it's sustaining i think to to believe that that somewhere out there some win out there there's a place where right matters i think it also allows us to ask ourselves um what's the point right if we see um right i i certainly thought this uh after the 2016 election as a parent i teach my children uh 
all the time between right and wrong, how to treat other people. No, don't be mean, don't bully. And when we saw that somebody was rewarded uh, for doing the wrong thing, how do we look our children in the eye and explain that you should still do the right thing when they see that those who do wrong get rewarded? Uh, I, I know that that's just a small example, right? as you mentioned, but I, I think when we see those who do wrong get rewarded when we see evil increase in this world when we see bigotry on the rise it's very easy for us to be pessimistic it's very easy for us to say what's the point um but to me personally it would be very hard to get out of bed in the morning if my view and mentality was what's the point it'd be very hard to find purpose in the world that we live in and purpose in the life that i live if i didn't think there was a point if I didn't think that my actions mattered, uh, if I didn't think that we were all part of a bigger plan and a higher purpose. And so for me, even, and I would say in spite of the fact that there's so much darkness in the world, I still choose light and I still strive to, to believe that our actions matter. And even if we don't see the impact that they have now, we hope that they will have an impact in the world to come, right? Uh, you know that you you can look out at the world and, uh, and and say, you know, there's there's it's bleak and lawless and uh, and, uh, and 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 pointless, right? And and so you know, uh, in that kind of and that there's that there's a narrative that uh, that that you know that um, that is uh, uh, offered readily, right? And then you know, in that kind of world, right, it becomes much more compelling to, you know, do whatever you want, um, whatever's going to get you, make you rich or get you powerful, um, uh, or, you know, satisfy your desires, satisfy your appetites, um, because, you know, nothing really matters. Uh, and, uh, it's not like there's any kind of, uh, benefit to being, to being a good person, uh, to, uh, uh to, to advancing goodness in the world. Um, because, you know, uh, um, you know, ultimately, uh, um, nothing really matters and, and, and then you die. Right. Um, so, you know, eat, drink and be merry. Um, and, um, and I think that what, um, what, what, but that's what, a very, that's a very coherent perspective. Right. So, right. So that, that perspective does, uh, exist even within Jewish tradition, even within religious tradition, but, um, but, but primarily the, uh, uh, and so it, it's, so I think that, that, you know, Jewish tradition does say like, we're not put on this world not to enjoy it, right? We we should, and the Talmud even says you're going to help be held to account uh, um, when you stand before you know the divine judge um, for everything that you could have enjoyed in this world but didn't, right? So there there is that. So um, that's that's important, but that there's greater purpose than that. That um, that even if it you know even if it feels hopeless, even if it feels uh, desperate, even if it feels like like you haven't made enough of an impact that you keep on moving forward um, and you keep on uh, um, uh, believing in the right and doing the right and uh, pursuing justice and pursuing peace um, because, um, uh, because there, there, there is the uh, possibility. Uh, um, it may not happen during your lifetime, uh, but, uh, but that we will get to the place where, um, uh, where, where, where God intends for us to go. Going back to uh, the idea of the afterlife, and I think our discomfort with death in general, I think it comes from the idea that it is unknown, right? That um, mm-hmm. th- there's a great um, story. If you ever read um, one of Mitch Album's books, uh, Have a Little Faith, uh, it- it's basically go- a back and forth between um, two stories, his relationship with a uh, black preacher in inner city Detroit and his relationship with his childhood rabbi, Rabbi Albert Lewis from the suburbs of Philadelphia. And with his relationship with Rabbi Lewis, Rabbi Lewis asks him long before he dies, if he will give a eulogy at his funeral once he dies. And it's about their relationship. And at the very end of the book, um, Rabbi Lewis's funeral plays out and somebody walks up who ends up being his caretaker and, takes a cassette player, turns it on, and puts a microphone in front of the speakers, and it's Rabbi Lewis's voice saying, Dear friends, this is the voice of your past rabbi speaking. Hmm. And everybody is like, what's going on? And he says, you know, everybody's always asked me, 
is there life after death? And he says, yes, there is. But friends, I'm sorry. Now that I know, I can't tell you. And the entire room at his funeral uh, abrupts in, in laughter. But I think that, that that's, you know, really a part of our challenge with death is that we fear what comes after we leave this world because we don't know and because there's no way ever of knowing. And that's, I think, the truest form of faith, that there's nothing to prove or no way to fully disprove the unknown, I think, is what is scariest. Yeah, I think that you're absolutely right, and I and I had forgotten about uh, that book, but I but I, thanks for the uh, reminder of it. Uh, um, I, you know, it's, it's funny. I just looked at it on my uh, bookshelf the other day, um, but uh, you know, I think that uh, that to me, um, that's the purpose of Torah and tradition, right? Torah is life after death, um, because if I attach myself to um, uh, to the tradition of my ancestors and I embrace it and I embody it and I try to bring it out into the world um, and I um, try to you know make of the world uh, a better place uh, in uh, in in the in the image um, or in the vision that the Torah offers if I teach it to my children and God willing one day uh, they uh, embrace it themselves and uh, and 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 bring it out into the world. Then, then in a sense, right? Um, I'm uh, I'm living on beyond death. Whatever we think of the afterlife, um, that that what I cherished, what I valued, what I thought was important, the work that I did, what I accomplished, continues to go on even after I die. And in the same way, all of my ancestors that came before me, um, I'm bringing them into the world. Every time I do a mitzvah, every time I fulfill a commandment, every time I study a page of Talmud, um, I, am, I am walking with Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Tarfon. Um, I am, I'm studying with Maimonides um, and I'm studying with my grandparents, my great grandparents, uh, and, doing, and doing Kiddush with them on Friday nights um, because we live in those texts and traditions and rituals and, uh, and, and holy acts that we that we bring into the world. Well, I think that's um, separate from Judaism. I think it's a natural human uh, emotion to want to be remembered, to want to have an impact on this world. And I think so much of a fear in dying, um, which you know, fully and candidly, right? I I fear death. I think it's natural to fear death. That the fear of death is will we be remembered? Will we have a lasting impact in this world? So it's much more so, right? Did my life matter when I lived my life? That's, I think, the real fear of the end of life is, did my life matter when I lived my life? How will I be remembered? You know, I I, I, I hate to keep quoting texts that have nothing to do with, um, with Jewish tradition, but I can't help but think of, you know, the last song, um, the very end of Hamilton, the finale, uh, <laughs> where, where they say, um, right, every other founding father's story gets told, every other founding father gets to grow old, uh, but when you're gone, who remembers your name, who keeps your flame, who tells your story? I think that's what we all ultimately want. Uh, and uh, what the afterlife is um, with our souls and, and, and whatnot is really about our souls living on in this world and our souls live on in this world as long as we have an impact in this world and we have an impact in our lives. Uh, as long as people carry us on and carry our impact on, whether that's through family, whether that's through community, whether that's through friends, whether that's through work, whether that's through social progress, if our impact is felt, then our soul lives on and we will live on. We will very much, uh, God very much, gives life to us even after we physically have left this world uh, for our impact is felt long after we have left this world. Yeah, I think that that's right. Uh, You know, I couldn't help but watch the, uh, when I was watching The Good Place, uh, think of the Pixar film Coco. Um, And one of the um, ideas of the afterlife uh, that was in uh, w- that was that was offered in that film is that you remain 
you know, present in the afterlife so long as there are people on Earth who who remember you, uh, which uh, which you know gives uh, a kind of uh, which which was beautifully expressed in the film. But there's something kind of bleak about it um, in in the sense that you know it, you know the more famous you are um, uh, and the more of a sort of a tangible impact that you have, right? The more you're a Hamilton or a George Washington or you know the very rare handful of people uh, who, for better or worse uh, deeds, are remembered throughout history, then you get to stay in the afterlife. But I think that what we're talking about here is a, um, is, is, is a legacy and a life beyond death that transcends uh, any, um, any remembrance of you as an individual, right? So like you may not, I may not be remembered, you know, personally, a uh, hundred years after my death, I may not be remembered personally. Fifty years after my death, but um, but 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 will live on because first of all, the impact, God willing, that we'll have made in the world will um, will will be good and meaningful, even if our names are not attached to it. Um, and also in perpetuating, and this is you know uh, how I feel as a Jew in perpetuating um, uh, a, an, an ancient tradition. Um, at being a link in that chain, um, I'm, uh, I remain part of that chain even after I die, even if my name isn't attached to that link in the chain. Well, you know, I think it's a good place for us to wrap up as we all sit with this and sit with those thoughts. Uh, when we remember somebody, we say, uh, may their memories be for a blessing. Uh, and whether that blessing is a blessing that is this world or the world to come, may we all strive in this life to be a blessing so that in the next life uh, we can be blessed as well. Amen. And let me just add to that. Uh, you mentioned it before, and I love this imagery. Uh, we say when uh, when when uh, someone passes away, when someone dies, we say, um, "May their souls be bound up in the bonds of everlasting life." Uh, and uh, and so we pray that uh, for for uh, uh, our listeners in this podcast and, and to us all uh, that in in life and in death um, that uh, our souls are bound up in the bonds of everlasting life that we all. Uh, see ourselves as um, intimately and intricately connected to one another uh, and therefore also responsible for one another. Amen. Until next time, uh, I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And I am Rabbi Michael Noth. If you are enjoying this podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you are getting your podcasts. Uh, we deeply appreciate it. 